Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 160 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, joined by my friend and colleague, Ryan Dunleavy. And Ryan, as we enter week five of the NFL season, the Giants have a two-game winning streak. They're undefeated with Daniel Jones at quarterback. They're 2-2, two and two, heading into a showdown with a, a now very beatable Minnesota Vikings team. And they've had a lot of success even without their best player, Saquon Barkley. So certainly a lot to get to on this edition of the podcast. Yeah, it's uh, we have a football season for the first time really since I started covering the Giants. This is the most meaningful football game they're going to play. It's uh, two and two and talking about a winning record. The stat that stunned me, Matt, was they got their second win on November 19th, 2017, on November 12th, 2018, and on September 29th, 2019. So that's going the right direction. Yeah, a lot sooner. And certainly we can talk about how everything has changed over the last two weeks and we'll get into some of the minor changes and the bigger changes uh, but of course if you like what you hear we would love if you would subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts you can search us and find us on YouTube Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio SoundCloud, all of your favorite podcast platforms and of course follow the show on Twitter he's at R.Y. Dunleavy. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL, and you can follow the podcast at Talk is Cheap NYG. And if you like what you hear, we'd love if you would give us those five-star reviews. Let us know what you like. Even what you don't like, it helps us grow the show. Uh, Ryan, as the Giants look to grow their offense going into week five, uh, certainly getting Saquon Barkley back from a high ankle sprain seemed impossible. Yeah. Up until maybe Wednesday when we walked out onto the practice field for the first time, it remains implausible after he missed Wednesday and Thursday. But I don't know about you, just watching him out there running, jogging, jumping, and yeah. cutting. Um, a, it's kind of remarkable that he's made this quick of a recovery 11 days after the injury. And B, it makes you think, okay, well, maybe there's actually a chance here that he comes back just two weeks after suffering that injury. It's crazy. I thought it was nuts that he missed two games in a Penn State season where he had a high ankle sprain. If he only misses one game, I mean, look, we know the guy's a super freak. We know the way he trains. We know the way he takes care of his body. We know the size of his quads, all that stuff. But at some point, he has to be vulnerable, right? He has to – a high ankle sprain supposed to be four, six, eight weeks. So Saquon Barkley is, you know – and a, bet, a freakish human being, so maybe you cut a couple weeks off of that. But two weeks, 
one game, that that's insane. And look, I think if you're asking me right now, I think the Giants will probably make him questionable for the game and yeah. have a game time decision and let him see how he wakes up Sunday morning and see if he's one of the 46 active. Yeah, I think that's probably the most likely direction that we're headed in here because all week Pat Shermer hasn't ruled out Saquon Barkley and Barkley spoke for the first time since suffering the injury in Tampa Bay uh, on Thursday afternoon and he said a couple things. He said, one, nobody ever presented me with a timetable. So just because everybody else recovers in that four to six week time frame or that six to eight week time frame that was out there. Um, he said he never really applied that to himself. And he said that, you know, his freakish workouts, everybody's seen what he does with the quads. Everybody sees him jumping over, you know, a, a stack of mats in the weight room and all of those things that he does from a conditioning standpoint. He said, if it weren't for all those things, the injury might've been a lot worse. So I think there's something to that, but I, I think what the Giants and even Barkley need to be here, Ryan, they need to be smart about this because it's not always just the injury. It's re-aggravating the high ankle sprain that <laughs> can be debilitating for back, running backs. when you're coming back on a Thursday for your next game. Right. So you talk about, you know, just missing one game would be outrageously quick. Even if they hold him out for this game, I think that it's it might be prudent to hold him out against the Patriots and have him have three full games, four full weeks before you get him back week seven against the Cardinals. But I don't know if you're going to oh, keep wow, Saquon Barkley down yeah. for, for two more games if he's already no. back on the field. I That's more than I would do. I mean, based on what they're doing right now, it makes sense to me to may, to probably hold him out of the Vikings game and get him ready for the Patriots game. You Look, you and I are both at the NFL 100 event before the season where Saquon was the only active player there with a bunch of Hall of Famers. And if you heard Saquon talk that night, and if you weren't lucky enough to like we were, then go Google our stories. He has this Patriots game circled on his counter. He told that hilarious story, right, about yeah. how he saw uh, Tom Brady at the Met Gala, and Brady said basically in so many words, hey, great first season, uh, now can you do it again? And it wasn't you know, a dig at Saquon. It wasn't like he was disrespecting him. It was like, hey, I'm the greatest of all time because I do it year after year after year. If you want to be that, now go do it again. And you could tell as Saquon was relaying that story that he is determined to show Tom Brady in person, yes, I can do it again. Here, watch me. So to think he's going to miss this Patriots game, I think I, I think that as soon as he got injured, yeah. if you gave Saquon truth serum, I think he said, I got to be back for that Patriots yeah, game. I wouldn't rule him out from playing Sunday just from watching how quickly he's come back from minor injuries before, and you brought up the, the injury he suffered. Same right ankle, same high ankle sprain his freshman year at Penn State, and he only missed two games and had 194 yards, I believe, the following week when he came back in the shoe against Ohio State. So uh, that was kind of his breakout performance against Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, if he does anything like that again sometime over the next two weeks, the Giants are going to be in good hands. Um, but but I think that Wayne Gallman last week gave Good them the point. luxury of not having to rush him back. I think he ended up with something like 96 yards from scrimmage. He had the receiving touchdown. I Is that it what was, it was? Think, yeah. So 111 yards from scrimmage. He had the receiving touchdown, had the rushing touchdown early. Um, you know, he's not going to be the flashy player that Saquon Barkley is, but he was a, a very workmanlike yeah. and, and really dependable running back in that game, which is all you really needed him to be and then some. Um, so I, I don't think that having Barkley in the game or not is going to hurt them too much against Minnesota based on what we saw from Gallman. Yeah, I thought, look, I mean, 
obviously whoever you put in from Saquon is going to be a drop off. But I thought Wayne played well. I thought Hilleman played well. The problem is they both fumbled. Yep. And they, Saquon has one fumble in his NFL career, hard as that is to believe. It was his first carry this year, and the Giants recovered it. He's never lost a fumble in yeah. the NFL. Um, so obviously that's a problem. And Daniel Jones as well, is he playing has, through two picks and has a couple of fumbles? So the Giants are flirting now with being able to score some points on offense finally, yep. but also making a little, too many turnovers, being too sloppy with the ball. And, and I think that they benefited last week by playing a Washington team that was in complete Stakes. disarray. Stakes. Yeah, complete disarray. Might be the most dysfunctional organization Don't in say all that. sports. Because, oh, maybe long term, but not right now because of the Dolphins. The Dolphins, <laughs> the Dolphins and the Knicks. And... But over, yeah, oh, the Knicks. Oh, the Knicks. See, the Knicks are so dysfunctional. I was, I was at a, having a conversation they're like with somebody in their about own this com- before. They're in their own category. I didn't even, the Knicks didn't even register yeah. with me because they're so irrelevant. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of the most dysfunctional teams and, and Washington was at or near the top of the list for me and somebody had to bring up the Knicks and they're, they've just been so bad that they're irrelevant. <laughs> um, oh my but, God. but, you know, Daniel Jones could get away with two picks and you could get away with two fumbles, one of them coming along the goal line because they were in complete disarray. They yeah. dumbed down the playbook to get, uh, you know, Dwayne Haskins in there because that's Daniel Snyder's guy and you had to play yeah. him. You yanked Case Keenum. Now he's done. You can't go back to him. Um, might so, play Colt McCoy. Might play Colt McCoy. So they're, they're a complete disaster. Yeah. And, and Jones, as I wrote in the report card after the game, wasn't flashy as he was in his yeah. debut, but he went through growing pains. And at times, he was still prolific. And you look at the scramble for, I believe it was 23 yards on third and 16. You saw him leading Sterling Shepard on a big third down pass that you wrote about this week, picking up yards after the catch. You now get Golden Tate back, who excels at yards after the catch. The, the loss of Barkley is kind of mitigated by the gain of what you get on third down and yeah. overall from the mobility standpoint that you get in Daniel Jones over Eli Manning. Yeah. Uh, Golden Tate's an interesting one. What do you expect from Golden Tate this week? Yeah, I don't know that you throw him in for a full workload his first time back after sitting on the shelf for a month. And, you know, he was training, as you pointed out, with Melvin Gordon in, in San Diego. Um, but I, I could see them targeting him five, maybe six times, um, primarily out of the slot, probably a yards per catch guy. Um, you, you look back, two of Daniel Jones's better throws in the preseason came in the finale mm-hmm. to Golden Tate. So I, I think somewhere around a three or four catch performance for 65 yards, maybe a touchdown, I think is what would be in reach for, for Tate this week. I think it'll be interesting really to see how they use Tate and Shepard because We've been talking about this since March. I think you wrote one of the first stories on it, like at the owners from the owners' meetings. Is it doesn't make a whole. <coughs> their strengths are so similar that it doesn't make. A, I think Sterling Shepard has like ninety percent of his yards this season are out of the slot. Yep. Um, Golden Tate has the most slot yards in the NFL over the last like four years. So they're so similar. They're both versatile enough, but they're so similar. They're both here's the best way to say it, Matt. They're both capable of playing on the outside, but neither one is at his best when he's playing on the outside. So one of them is giving up part of their strengths to the other. Will it be the same guy every play and he same guys on the outside, same guys on the slot every play, or will they like alternate just to you know the way you and I alternate, you know, Saquon Barkley videos so we get a lot of page views? Just friends, you know. Right. <laughs> just friends. You take the slot this time, I'll take it, you know, you take this French fry, I'll take that French fry kind of thing or friendly split or will they have a strategy to it? I think I'm leaning towards, I think it'll kind of be a rotation. Yeah. And then Mike Shula talked about this on Thursday that, 
they're, they're going to do a little bit of both. You're going to have Sterling in the slot sometimes. You're going to have Tate in the slot sometimes. And I wouldn't be surprised if you, you run some sets where they're both on the outside with Evan Ingram in the slot. I, I, and, and when Barkley gets healthy, I think you're going to wind up seeing Barkley in the slot and maybe some four wide receiver sets where you have maybe Shepard and Tate in one stack with Shepard on the outside and Tate in the slot. And then Barkley out wide with Ingram in the slot on the other. I, I think they're all capable of being moved around um, in, in some different formations. And I think that when you talked about the Giants' potential, it, it's that there's so much versatility from a receiver standpoint from Ingram and Barkley and from Shepard and Tate that you can really move these guys around. I think the odd man out here might be Cody Latimer. I agree. Uh, but I, I don't say, I'm not saying he's getting cut. We've already seen Betty Fowler and TJ Jones get cut. I just think in terms of his playing time is going to take a dip. We didn't even mention Darius Slayton who's coming on. You know, Darius Slayton's obviously going in the other direction. I think Cody Latimer in terms of targets and snap count could probably be headed in the wrong direction. Yeah, I think you start, start to see Cody Latimer more on special special teams probably than offense at this point. Um, but you look at this offense in general, and I think there's a lot to like about it right now. But again, we, we kind of have to temper last week um, Stink. With, with the qualifier that Washington stinks. stinks. They, they can't do anything. Their best wide receiver was out. Their best, uh, two best offensive linemen. Darius Geis, their best running back was out. Their two best offensive linemen, uh, Sharif and uh, the right Trent, tackle, Trent, Trent Williams, Williams, it was out as well. Um, defensively, they were kind of banged up. So I, I think you look at last week Stakes. and you, you check a box and you say, okay, they blew out the Redskins. Great. They did it last year in the finale. Yeah, let's be careful. Like, the Giants were the team that stinks, though, for two years. Like right. they, So the Giants, they're headed they're, in we're, not, we're not poo-pooing the win because, right. like, look, you know, you, you, yes, you should beat up on the Redskins, but for two – I mean, the Redskins beat you last year at, in your home building. So uh, – Yes, the Redskins stink, but the it's a step. Uh, Shermer likes to talk about learning how to win. One yeah. of the first steps is beating up on bad teams, and that's what right. And I think that this is really the crucible of the Giants' season right here. It's the toughest stretch of games I think you're going to find. And in a way, it started last week because Washington is a division opponent, so you get that out of the way, and it was an easy win. I think the Vikings, even in their current state, where Kirk Cousins have to, has to apologize publicly to Adam Thielen because he can't get him the ball and when Thielen says oh we need to you know be able to throw the ball and have a passing game I think they're a step up in competition from Washington and I think that the Patriots are obviously a step up in competition from what you're getting out of uh, Minnesota at this point so it's kind of a a slow walk up yep. the bridge up the stairs for Daniel Jones in this offense and the defense is starting to come together and there's been some changes that have been not so well documented some of them well documented that are kind of hitting at the right time but but this three-game stretch, starting last week and ending next Thursday night, I think it's going to tell you a lot about whether the Giants are contenders or pretenders at this stage of their development. Yeah, are they a playoff team? Are they a middle-of-the-road team? Are they as bad as I thought they were before the season when I picked them to be a four- or five-win team? Uh, I had them two and two, even though I had them as a four-win team. I had them two and two. I swap out the Bills. I think I had them beating the Bills, losing the Redskins. I still expected Eli to be playing, though, at this point. Yeah. And he's obviously he's not. So, uh, look, I think this is a perfect time for the Giants to get a game that's a measuring stick kind of game. This isn't the Patriots. None of us expect them to beat the Patriots. This isn't the who's the second best team in the NFL. The Chiefs. It's not the Chiefs. It's not. It's not the Packers. It's not the Bears defense. And it's not the Redskins. It's not the 
Cardinals, the Dolphins. This is the perfect game at the perfect time to say, let's see how you, who you are. And you know what, Giants fans, it'll be tough to swallow. But even if they lose the game by three or four points with three minutes to go, they have the ball, whatever. That'll show you just how far they've come. Because two weeks ago, they looked dead. They looked yeah. at, they looked. Two weeks ago, they looked like one of the three worst teams in the NFL heading towards top three pick. Yeah, if you had me pick this game when we were getting on the flight coming home from Dallas, I would have said, you know what? The Vikings are going to win this game by two touchdowns. Yeah. They're just two teams headed in different directions. <laughs> yeah. But you look at the struggles that the Vikings are having. You're looking at some of the momentum the Giants are riding into this game and all of the things they feel good about uh, with Daniel Jones and getting Golden Tate back and who knows about yeah. Saquon Barkley. I think it's going to be a lot closer than a lot of people think think. Um, but before we get into kind of breaking down the game and our final thoughts on, on week five, I think it's worth noting two changes, one on defense and one bigger picture that have happened over the last couple of weeks, in addition to Daniel Jones and the ability to improve on third down and play complimentary football, uh, which I have a big story coming out on Saturday. Um, but why don't you talk about the one change on defense, Ryan, that maybe not everybody has noticed, but I think it's really improved the secondary's play, especially last week. You're talking about how Rabbit and Dondre Baker. So I'll have something on this for tomorrow. You'll probably, as you're listening to this podcast, you could probably find the story. It'll both, it'll, they'll both be up Friday morning. Um, so what the Giants did was instead of having Jack Rabbit follow the top receiver around like he did with Mike Evans and obviously didn't do it very well or like he's done for most of his career since he became a top cornerback where he tracks the number one receiver. They gave DeAndre Baker a side of the field. They gave uh, Janoris Jenkins a side of the field and said basically said whoever goes there, that's your guy. Right. Which requires a lot more work during the week because now you got to be prepared for the full range of receivers who could be on your side of the field versus one guy who you're matching up with. But it makes things a lot easier on game day, especially for the rookie Baker, whose head isn't quite spinning as much. He doesn't know where he's going when the huddle breaks. Who He doesn't have to look around. Who's to my left? Who's to my right? What's the coverage here? No, he just knows he's on this side of the field and – that takes out half the battle, and now yep. he can. Now he knows wherever all his teammates are. He just has to know the coverage on the specific play. Uh, I don't know how much the Giants will stick with that going forward. This will actually be a really good game to tell because the Vikings have a number one outside receiver and yep. Stefan Diggs. If is, Diggs is there, if he doesn't get traded or doesn't after he sat correct. out Wednesday's practice, <laughs> say, hey, I'm not getting on the flight. I don't want to be a part of yeah. this. They have Diggs. They have Thielen. We'll, we'll see if that strategy continues. And I think that that's played a pretty big role in this defense play playing much better over the last two weeks. They've only allowed six points over the last five quarters. Three six against quarters. six quarters. Yeah, yeah. since the it second half of the uh, 91 points in 10 quarters, six points in the last six. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Since the second half of the game against uh, the Tampa Bay yeah. Buccaneers through the Redskin game, it, it's been like a different defense. And I think that strategic shift has played a big role in it. And I wrote about this on Thursday. Um, there's been two changes in terms of the practice habits yeah, that, that have gone on um, with the Giants. And, and I, I kept hearing, you know, whether, whether it was after the game against Washington or just, you know, poking around and talking to players on Monday in the locker room, how the last couple of weeks of practice have been much more focused and guys are paying more attention to detail. And obviously that's been a point of emphasis from the coaching staff, but 
Pat Shermer made the switch after the Buffalo game, uh, moving practices from one in the afternoon till 1042 in the morning. And it's interesting because there's a little bit of an analytics and a sports science component to this. Because think about it. These guys are showing up to meetings at 7, 730 in the morning, um, eating breakfast at the facility, going through film study, position meetings, team meetings. They weren't getting on the practice field until one o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, I work with you every day and I know that if you don't eat by <laughs> one o'clock, you, you're, you're like the, the hangry monster, just like I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I get to get lightheaded and headaches and I need to get food in me, right? There's a reason I was eating a veal sandwich at, at 1045. 10.30 in the morning and I pop my macaroni and cheese in the microwave at, at 11.05. Uh, the same thing goes for, for football players that, you know, if you're hitting your lull at the office at 12.30, 1 o'clock and reaching for that extra iced coffee or whatever you do to yeah. get energized, these guys are doing the same thing. So getting them on the field at 10.40, it might sound silly, but it's made a difference for them. No, I totally agree. I to- Look, it's funny, right? They, they And excuse me, audience, excuse my – the 90-degree to 60-degree weather change has given me quite the uh, cold and sniffles and headache and nasal. I'm sitting voice. over here in a gas mask trying to avoid getting <laughs> yeah. sick myself between you and Slater the yeah. last two weeks. Jeez. But uh, lo- yes, I, th- I think there is some truth to that, but – Everything you do – it's so funny how everything you do when you change – when you start winning after you've been losing for so long is a change. It's like, oh, well, maybe it's the schedule. Here's a story by Matt. Maybe it's Daniel Jones. Here's a zillion stories. Maybe it's the change in the defense, 91 points versus six. Here's a story on that. Maybe it's all of them combined. Maybe it's chicken, egg. Are they winning because of these things? Do these things matter more because they're winning? If they were 0-4, you wouldn't be writing about the change in schedule. You know what I mean? No, exactly. We'd all be laughing about the fact that it starts at 1042, the precise time. Uh, But it's interesting because because coinciding with all of that was James Betcher basically having a come-to-Jesus moment with the, <laughs> with his players and saying, listen, this was after Buffalo. You know, every every game now and every day, we're going to write down, th- each of you, three oh, things that you need to work on. And we're going to focus on those three things. That's like and, a college coach would do that. Right. And Grant Haley told me that it's kind of helped guys focus on those fundamental aspects of their game and techniques. And they build on things throughout the course of the week. And it's not just showing up to practice and going through the motions of an NFL practice, it's no. We're, we're showing up on the practice field and we're going to do work. And I think that we'll see how much that holds up against Thielen and Diggs yeah. if they're both out there. And we'll see how much that holds up against Tom Brady. But it, it seems to have worked. And I don't know if that happened, you know, I, I know that the conversation occurred after the Buffalo game, but maybe they doubled down with it at halftime against the Buccaneers. Well, I think, but- at, a half t- I think at halftime there, what I've gathered from talking to a few veterans casually around the locker room is to get halftime of that game. There were quite a few F-bombs dropped, in-your-face moments of, hey, we're, we keep talking about we could be a good defense. I think there were guys challenging each other. I don't think there was a fight. I don't think any punches were thrown. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying I think there was a lot of mano a mano challenge your challenge – your, uh, challenge yourself to be an NFL player or get out of the lineup kind of now or never type of time type of talk going on in the locker room and yeah I think all of it kind of goes hand in hand and Sunday I think is the biggest test yet and the one area where the Vikings are going to test them is Dalvin Cook he trails Christian McCaffrey by one yard for the rushing lead right now he's averaging 5.8 yards per carry he's been a battering ram for them and and there's a very physical offensive line and this is one area where we could talk about catching the secondary at the right time because of you know all the issues with the passing game 
Minnesota's catching the Giants' defense at the right time when it comes to running the football with Alec Ogletree remaining a question mark, Tay Davis just getting out of the concussion protocol. You could be leaning on David Mayo and Nate Stupar playing significant snaps yeah, on defense. Josiah Teoefa. Yeah, it's uh... – Inside linebacker is the new wide receiver for the Giants. Just when they're now finally healthy at wide receiver, inside linebacker is just a total influx position of guys. I mean, Mayo and Stupar were both on the street free agents last month. And yeah. now, now they could be the top two guys on the depth chart this week. Yeah, and you know that that goes to underscore the loss of Ryan Connolly. And, and we've made oh. it this far into the podcast without – Talking about Ryan Connolly and Torres ACL, huge loss. I mean, you can make the case that outside of Daniel Jones, he had been the most dominant rookie that the Giants had out there. And, and you know, he had the interception. That's Last fair. week he had an interception the prior week against Tampa Bay. Um, he was really coming into his own and playing at a high level. Didn't look like a fifth-round pick. Looked like he could have been a second- or third-round yeah. type of player. Uh, it looked like he was going to be the starting inside linebacker the rest of the way, and you lose him just before this game against Dalvin Cook and just, again, you know, ahead of the Patriot game and then for the rest of the season. Yeah. Like, he's gone now. Yeah. He's not walking through this yeah. door, and you're hoping that Alec Ogletree comes comes back or Tate Davis comes back yeah. and that David Mayo keeps playing at a high level. There's a lot of ifs and hopes and fingers yeah. being crossed about the inside linebackers. But I'll say this about the outside linebackers, the edge guys. They've gotten a good rush the last two games. Much more, really, even if you go back to the Buffalo game, they did okay. Like The pass rush has been better than I thought it would be. I, as you know, I was very down on the defense. I was very down on the pass rush. Marcus Golden is a guy who has very much impressed me because his sacks are not coming with with like one quick move, get to the quarterback, like a Bradley Chubb kind of guy who's like one quick move and the quarterback has no chance he's down, Khalil Mack. Marcus Golden is busting his butt. These are some of the sacks that are taking five seconds, yeah. but he never stops moving. He ne- he's oh, This guy's motor it is never stops moving. He's getting hustle sacks, which are impressive to me. And, and I think those are the kind of plays that are contagious. If you're just getting dominant sacks, well – the other guys can't match your talent, you know, like uh, if you're just, you know, uh, David Mayo or Stupar or Zymanez isn't going to be able to match Khalil Mack's talent, but they can match Marcus Golden's. Oh, they're uh, definitely motor. effort guys and, yeah. a, and a high motor guy. And I think that he's exceeded all of my expectations. Yeah. And this is we heard all the talk about him being, you know, close to being back to pre-ACL injury form. And, you know, he's not that far away from that double digit sack number that he had a couple yeah. of years ago. He's playing like it. And, yeah. I, you know, there are a couple plays, the one against Tampa Bay where Winston was flushed from the pocket and it looked like Golden was pushed off the pocket, but he came around and tackled him from behind. Yeah. Never stops. The motor's always running, and he's been one of the more impressive defensive players. He's the players. best free agent signing they've had, I think, this year. Yeah, no, I agree. And you can make case probably one of the top two that they've had under Dave Gettleman. Who would the other one be? Michael Thomas from a leadership Michael standpoint, Thomas. that's no, probably yeah, about he's it. He's a good player. He's a <laughs> captain. Yeah, Michael Thomas, Marcus Golden. That's probably... I mean, yeah. so, Solder's been okay, but he hasn't lived up to the contract. Very inconsistent. Inconsistent yeah. starts of the okay. year. okay. Yeah. Um, Golden Tate, we don't know what he's going to be. Yeah. yeah. Probably Thomas and Golden. And so, Ryan, your thoughts on Sunday's game. Um, what's going to decide it? How close are the Giants to being in this category of fighting for a playoff berth like Minnesota is? What are your thoughts going into it? Yeah. I Look, I think they're going to give you a game, which, look, here's an interesting stat. No matter who was in the Vikings jersey 
Eli Manning was three and six against the Vikings. He threw five touchdowns in those nine games, five in nine games, 15 interceptions. He had three games with at least three picks, including one game with five picks. The Vikings were always Eli Manning's nemesis. Uh, is that going to continue with Daniel Jones? I don't know. That's uh, that that it. You could say, oh, it doesn't carry over from year to year. But for whatever reason, if Eli Manning was the quarterback of the Giants, it would have been a storyline this week how bad he is against the Vikings. Uh, Mike Zimmer had his number. Yeah, uh, and before that, Leslie Frazier yeah. and who you know, all these guys. Brad Childress. He just always struggled against the Vikings. I don't think. You know, with Jones, it kind of starts all over. I think the Giants will play a competitive game. I just don't think they're at this level yet, yeah. just, especially shorthanded. I don't. Th- I think they lose the game by four, three, four, five points, something yeah. like within a score. Yeah, I agree. And I think that what's really interesting is when there was all this talk before Manning was benched after week two. Oh, well, does he play defense? Does he play cornerback? Yeah. Um, does he play special teams? Does he block? Does he catch the football? <laughs> there were all these, you know, excuses being thrown about Eli Manning. You made a really good point on Twitter about how he's actually help, like Daniel Jones is actually helping the defense. Yep, and, and here's how the Giants. We talked about it for two or three weeks. I was beating my fist on the table about how bad they are <laughs> he's on third down. Actually, beating his fist on my kitchen table right now. <laughs> so, so sorry for the mark that that left. Uh, the Giants were five for twenty-three on third down with Eli Manning in the two games that he started. They were fourteen of twenty-six on third down and two for two on fourth down. One of them being Jones's touchdown run with Daniel Jones, like you mentioned, that's helping the defense. That keeps the defense off the field. It prolongs scoring drives. It puts you in a position to score uh, in terms of, you know, converting third downs and especially on third and short. And yes, there have been three more third down plays, but they've converted 14 of them versus five with Eli Manning. So nine more third down conversions with Daniel Jones. Um, And and I think that's going to be a factor on Sunday because I think that, look, the Vikings are what they are. They're very physical along both fronts. This is going to be... They're what the Giants want to be. That's what the Giants want to be. It's no surprise Shermer worked closely with Zimmer. The Giants want to be an offensive line, defensive line built team. They're just not there yet. Yep, And I I think that Dalvin Cook as the battering ram is going to be the difference for the Vikings. I think they're going to be able to control the tempo and, and... you know, keep the Giants defense on the field by virtue of 15, 16 play drives that you run the ball on nine or 10 of them and you just chew clock the entire game. I think that that's kind of where we're headed here. But I'll say this. If Jones can continue to turn an Evan Ingram into a one-play scoring drive, if you can get yards after the catch from Shepard and Golden Tate and whoever's at running back, if, if they're able to run to set up the pass, you can start to dictate to the Vikings a little bit. Do you, if I told you, so what's your final score prediction? Uh, I have, and I actually have the precise one this time. <laughs> I made sure I looked it up. I, I have the Vikings winning this game 26 to 21. Um, if I told you Saquon Barkley got f- 15 carries in the game, do you change uh, Do you change anything? <laughs> yeah. Um, you make the Giants win with 15 carries, or you, they still lose the game? <sighs> That's so tough. I, I, that's what I do. I ask tough questions. You, you do ask tough questions. You do it to the coaches. I didn't think you would do it to me. Uh, no, I, I think if Saquon Barkley plays and plays a factor, they could win this game. Yeah. I, uh, I think they still lose the game. That's not, I'm not saying they are in the same team with Saquon or without. I just think 
the Giants are four points to seven points worse than the Vikings. What, what was your uh, final score? I don't remember. I don't have. We reverse roles here, yeah, I, I, and you never, you never send your Giants pick to the rest of us. See, see, for the we're gonna give you a peek behind the curtain here. When you read nj.com/slash/Giants or Eagles or Jets, we all have a chain where we send in our picks to each other every week. I'm typically the last to do it. I put it off, and but but we all have our scores in there. Ryan, for whatever reason, never includes the Giants pick because he writes the post in these emails. So we never know until he publishes yeah. who he picked for the Giants game. I picked 31-23 Vikings. I just pulled it up. So, okay. sure, if Barkley plays, I think they are they lose 31-27, 31-28. That's about what he's worth, I think. So uh, I just don't think they're good enough to win the game. Yeah. No, all right. Well, that makes sense. So we both have the Giants losing this week. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to mention one other thing before we wrap this podcast up. I wrote a story today. Oh yes, uh, with former Giant safety Cam Moore, and this is a very serious topic. We, Matt and I like to have fun, but very serious topic. Um, Cam Moore obviously was accused of domestic violence, uh, third degree assault in the summer. The Giants have since released him. Uh, I wrote that first story <laughs> off the police report, and uh, I wrote a story today on. Cam invited me into his house. Uh, it was a very, very thoroughly and well-reported, well-written story, Ryan. You should def- people should go check it out. Yes, it's uh, it is certainly not. It is it's Cam's version of what happened that night. Uh, as I said, I've already reported the accusers' accu- version of what happened that night. I certainly suggest you read both of them, uh, and I will follow that uh, case as it probably heads to a grand jury. But uh, obviously a very serious topic we take very seriously, and I reported uh, reported everything I knew with you know court documents and um, evidence I was shown and whatnot. But uh, obviously it's a situation that's worth monitoring. Just because Cam Moore isn't on the Giants anymore, uh, it's still a case that you know affects you know thousands or probably even more of Americans every year. So. Uh, please read about it and read the law because I think the law was very eye-opening to me too. Uh, domestic violence law in New Jersey. I, I learned something about it in this case. Oh, yeah, for sure. And again, we've talked about this, you and I. There's always three sides of the story. His side, her side, and the truth. And you have the law enforcement side that was real, well reported. You have his side of the story. Readers can be the judge and ultimately yeah. um, the legal system is going to play They'll out They'll ultimately here. be the a judge. Well, actually be, be the, the judge, judge. Yeah, yep yeah. yep so on that note uh ryan i'm looking forward to sunday looking forward to the game and certainly a quick turnaround you have the vikings on sunday then you have the patriots on the road next thursday we're gonna find out what this giants team is over the next 12 days or so will yep. we be talking about a team that pulls off an upset or two yeah. and is close to the driver's seat of the nfc east or are we gonna imagine be if they won both games imagine if they won both games uh, we there was <laughs> Would be a lot of fun. There was a joke going around the press. Well, here's another peek behind the curtain. There was a joke going around the uh, press room yesterday. Uh, coaches like to say, what do coaches say about the quarterback every time? We're going to play the guy who gives us the best chance to win. Well, does Eli Manning give you the best chance to win against the Patriots? He's the Patriot killer, right? So so maybe you just stick him Maybe in he it. did in 2011. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How old saying. was Daniel Jones then? Uh, I don't know, like 16. <laughs> yeah, so. so he probably wouldn't have given you the best yeah, chance yeah. to win back then, but Eli Manning would have. Yeah, yeah. this ain't 2011. <laughs>
And with that, he's Ryan Dunleavy at RY Dunleavy. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. Please appreciate you listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Life you on Talk is cheap. <laughs>